Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Welcome to Young Adults. I'm glad that you all are here this evening. Hey, we're going to be in Philippians 1 if you want to go ahead and and turn your Bibles there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in front of you in the pew or it's going to be on the screen so you don't miss anything. Um, I want to fill you in on a little bit of who I am. Uh, My name is Jared. I am the young adult pastor here, but um, I I tend to live life uh, to one extreme or the other. I've been described as dramatic by some people. Uh, And in the right group, I can get very uh, passionate about the right things or the wrong things, depending on what you you want to call it. Um, But like, I like to to have my thing and to kind of hold on to it, to have like that thing that I'm known for and hold on to it. Um, We went camping a couple years ago, and I say camping we, re- we stayed in a cabin, and it was really a really nice house in the middle of the woods. Um, but when we went, um, we went with a couple of friends, and it was like the girls, we had just had a lot of our kids, so there were a lot of babies like inside the house. And then all the guys would like go do stuff in the woods. And there was like an old zip line that we tried to make work. And we went to this uh, pond, and we found a boat that we tried to make work. And it, it, was, it was a great time. Um, but when I knew that I was going to go camping, I don't go camping very often. I'm not a, I'm not a big camper. Um, but when I knew that I was going to go camping, I knew that I had this one piece that I needed to bring with me. Uh, it was this, this thing that my dad gave me when I was a kid, and it's a whittling knife. Um, it's a specific knife. It's got like a little blade on the end. It has like a little leather case that fits on your, on your, uh, on your belt. And uh, I would always like kind of hold it up like this. I thought I had it in my backpack. I thought I left it in my backpack. I was going to show you all, but I didn't. So... We don't get to see it. But I, I, I'd put it on my belt, and I'd kind of leave my shirt tucked in a little bit so you could see, like, I'm always ready to whittle something if you need it. Um, and it was always there. It was always ready to go. And as soon as somebody was like, oh, man, I think we need, you know, sticks for the fire, I would like, now hold up. Because you said you needed that, I actually have something that could help in that scenario, and I'd start whittling some sticks. And um, I, I, have a, I have a lot of faith in myself as far as um, what I can make out of that um, whittling knife. Not a whole lot. But I didn't even really think about this until uh, somebody showed it. It's kind of this like this orangish brown color. And, uh, you know, the knife sits in the leather. And then it's got like like a rounded top to it. Well, um, it looked like I was just carrying around like a hot dog in a sheath is what it really looked like. So my friends were like, you're you're super weird. But I was like, listen, if you need something whittled, who are you going to come find, right? Like, I was looking for excuses to whittle stuff all weekend long. I was whittling down stuff in the house that they didn't need whittled down. I was whittling everything I could get my hands on. But I just think it's funny to, like, have something that's like, that's your thing. That's what you're known for. That's who you are. Um, You probably have a a friend in your group that's known for that thing, for known for that one thing that he brings to the group. Uh, I always forget because I feel like there are so few of them. Are there any soccer fans, like, like football fans in the room? Like just a handful. I always forget who all is a, like a soccer fan until they get around each other and they're like, I haven't been able to talk to someone about soccer in like seven years, so let me unload everything that I know about soccer to you. And you're like, you call it football sometimes, and that's not what it is. Like it's just confusing. Um, but you probably have a friend who went away to college, got super passionate about something, came back, and they're just like waiting to talk about it with you. They pump, they're pumped to talk about soccer. They're pumped to talk about their whittling knife. It may not be a whittling knife, but it's probably something. 
But I would ask you tonight, um, probably not a whittling knife, maybe not soccer, because that's only like three of you and Andrew Perez. But what is it that's your thing? What is it that you would describe yourself to say, like, this is what my life revolves around? This is what, man, if, if you take everything else away, this is what I'm really passionate about. This is what lights me up. This is what gets me really excited. This is what puts some fire in my stomach and some light in my eyes. What would you say that that thing is for you? What is that thing that, that just lights you up like nothing else? Uh, as we read in Philippians, uh, Logan did a great job talking last week about how he encouraged them to love with knowledge and discernment. And I talked two weeks ago about where he was, the setting, that he was talking to a church uh, of people that was made up by a rich woman, a slave girl, and a jailer that had just had a borderline suicidal experience. And this is what the church was made up as. Not the group of people that you would look at and say, man, those are the three people that are the most like each other. I'm gonna plant them in this metropolitan city and let them plant this church. No, they couldn't have been more different from each other, but the thing that they had in common was Christ. So Paul was so excited to talk to them. Paul's so excited in this book. You see in other books of the Bible that Paul is writing that he has a lot of things to say to them. He has a lot of correction. He has a lot of instruction. But what you read in Philippians, the book that we're in, what you read in Philippians is he's just so overcome with this is who Jesus is. This is what he does for you. That you see Paul start to kind of unravel himself and you just realize that what he's all about is Jesus. That's all he's about. That he's in jail. The setting is him writing this, penning this letter to the Philippian church while he's in jail. And he has so much joy and so much perseverance and excitement for this group of people, even though he's in jail. And that's where we pick up with him tonight. We're going to read Philippians 12. Um, we're going to read a couple of verses. Philippians 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the re- and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And, the mo- and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I, I just want to ask you tonight, I mean, Paul is, is clearly in a, a bad state, but he's saying, hey, it's got some purpose, that God put Paul in a position it was undesirable. Paul had a prison for a purpose. What is that for you? What is that scenario that you would write in the blank as, man, right now this is what my life is about, but it's not what I want my life to be about. Maybe you're still in school and you're like, I cannot wait to be done with homework. Can I get an amen? Right? Like, I've lived that life. It's not fun. You want to just be done with stuff that's like, you, the teacher's just checking if you're paying attention. You're like, I'm there. Most of the time, I'm basically paying attention. I know mostly what this class is about. That maybe not, it's not school for you, maybe it's work. That you're like, man, I'm in this dead-end job. This isn't what I went to school for. This isn't what I want to do. This isn't my lifetime job, but I'm stuck here doing this thing. that I don't know why I'm doing it. It feels like a prison. Maybe it's a life circumstance for you. Maybe you're in a stage of life that you would say, man, I never wanted to be here. I never wanted to be 27, 30, 33 years old and not be married. I never wanted to be, Lord, help me, 21 years old and not in a relationship. Like, you never planned to be there. That you always thought, I'm dating someone through high school, this is going to work out, and then it never did, and you're left wondering, why in the world am I here? And it feels like a prison. It doesn't feel good. Maybe your money situation is not where you would chalk it up as healthy. Can I get an amen? 
Maybe you're not even in the right city. Maybe you planned on being back home somewhere else by now, a bigger city. And you're like, man, Springfield's not where I want to be. Maybe there's a negative circumstance that's in your life that you would say, this feels like a prison. I don't know why I'm here. But that was Paul. Paul was in a circumstance, a negative circumstance, a place that, man, the guy is doing God's work. He's doing everything that it was that God had told him to do, and he ended up in prison. And it's like, we have this economy where you do what's right, you get paid for it. If you treat people well, they should treat you well back. And Paul was doing what he thought was most important by sharing Christ with people, and they end up throwing him in this prison. But what you don't see is that Paul has this attitude towards his prison that he completely despises it. Look at some of the ways that he talks about it. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, prison, being beaten, a little background on Paul, he was shipwrecked, he was snake bitten. Bad things happened to Paul, he, but he said, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And what you start to see is that Paul had this hierarchy in his life, that he understood God and the things of God as the most important in his life, bar none. That his circumstances were seen so secondary, they weren't even seen as third or fourth or fifth. He said, hey, I'm in prison, but it's actually a good thing. And I just don't know, I mean, if I'm being candid with you, I don't know that if I would be in prison and I would write you all a letter, maybe it's been a month that I went on a mission trip and I did come back and you guys are like, where's he at? And I sent Logan and Coco an email and said, hey, I'm in prison, but don't worry, it, the gospel's going out. I don't know that that would be my attitude. That's Paul's attitude. He's happy about it, that your prison could bring life to someone. That scenario that you're in, that situation that you're in, that prison could bring life to someone. Listen, Paul shackled. He, there, there were times in his imprisonment and different times that he was literally shackled to a guard. Like, shackle here, shackle on that dude's hand. And he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to share Christ with this guy that they shackled me to. I'm going to turn my circumstance, I'm going to turn my prison into a place of purpose. Not a place of imprisonment, not a place of what they meant it to be, not a place of incarceration, but a place of purpose and meaning for the thing that's most important in my life, for God's purpose. And I think sometimes we need to see the end goal, like you, you, need, to, you need to see what Paul's working with. Well, okay, he, he had people coming to know Christ, so of course he could be faithful through his imprisonment. But sometimes where you're at, you go, I don't see the silver lining. How do I know to be faithful? How do I know not to just jump ship? How do I know what to do? We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, but I want to ask you a question. Have you served God in this season? Where you're at right now, where God has you in this season, do you really feel, in your heart of hearts, ask yourself, this is not for the person next to you, have you served God in this season? in that undesirable circumstance. If Paul would have thrown up his hands and said, woe is me, this is terrible, no one would have said anything. Why? Because he's in prison. None of us are in prison tonight. It might be an emotional prison. It might be a place that you never intended to be, but are you serving God? Are you making a purpose out of it that God has given you because, well, God has me here for a reason. I'm gonna tell you about one of my friends, his name's Cody. 
And uh, Cody is an awesome guy. He's actually a missionary with his wife to Brazil now. Uh, but I knew him. He was one of my friend's older brothers. So he was like one of those guys that was like, oh, he's cool. He's got it all figured out. He was an athlete. Um, he played baseball all the way through high school. And then his senior year, he's like, I'll, I'll play football. I'll start and go and play quarterback. And he took the team to state. It's like, ah, it's no big deal. That was just who Cody was. Their dad uh, was a baseball player for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 90s. Like, just an awesome athlete, cool guy. Everybody liked him. Everybody kind of wanted to be him. Well, he went to uh, a D1 school to play baseball his freshman year. And he had gone to a couple of camps, and there was this guy who was, like, touted as the best athlete. Cody played shortstop. This guy played shortstop. They had one year where they were at school together. Well, that guy was a senior and Cody was a freshman. And Cody was like, man, I'm going to make it to the league. I'm going to make it. Like, I have the pedigree. My dad has been teaching me everything I need to know. He had all of the physical ab- abilities that anyone would ever need. But after his freshman year, after that guy's senior year, that guy got drafted in the very last round of baseball, which they have like 42 rounds of baseball draft. Like, it's, it's crazy. Every, every, somebody, for like eight years running, somebody drafted Mike Vick in case he ever wanted to switch over to baseball. And the dude never played a game of baseball in his life. People are just throwing picks at, at nobody's then. And he's going, okay, okay, hold on. If this guy, who's probably a better athlete than me, who's more gifted than me naturally, who was a four-year starter, I'm only going to be a three-year starter, if he gets drafted in the very last round of the MLB draft, then what chance do I have, in all honesty? And I remember him talking about it like it was just kind of this eye-opening moment where he goes, I I decided in those moments not to make my college career about me. Because I realized that God had me there for not getting drafted, not for continuing my baseball career, getting that great coaching job, having pedigree. He said, I realized that God put me on a baseball team that would have never known someone that loved Christ. But God put me there. And imagine if he would have just changed his perspective and said, man, this is terrible. I'm never going to get drafted at this small D1 school. They can't even turn this great athlete into an MLB couple first-round pick. So what am I doing here? This feels like a prison to me. This is awful. But instead, he looked at it probably the way that God viewed it and said, how can I turn this for a purpose for God? In your prison, even in an undesirable circumstance, God has purpose for you. Maybe it's not a circumstance that you're in that's like a life circumstance or you're here or you're there. Maybe the thing that you're hanging on to is something that you're not proud of that you would say is a past mistake. It's some shame. It's some regret that maybe nobody in here even knows about, that somebody from hometown knows about, that, man, maybe you were known as that girl in high school, that guy that did that. Maybe something that you're just deeply, deeply regret and you're just not proud of. And you wonder, man, can God ever use me or am I knocked down a couple of pegs? One of my favorite sections of scripture is Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is David crying out to God. And David has sinned with a woman that's not his wife, and when he got found out by, that, by someone else, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover it up. So he put that, man's, or that woman's husband at the front lines of battle and had everybody pull back and that man got killed. It was lying, deception, just terribleness. And Psalm 51 is his cry to God for forgiveness. And it's one of the most beautiful frameworks of repentance that you'll ever see. But in Psalm 51, verse 13, he says this. He's just asked God, give me a new heart. Give me the joy of your salvation. And this is what he says next. He says, then 
I will teach transgressors. I will teach sinners. I will teach people who have messed up. I will teach people that were in the same prison that I was in your ways. And look at the next line. It says, and sinners will return to you. Sometimes I think because of our sin, we can be convinced that God has delivered us from that sin, but God has not given us life in spite of that sin. That we can convince ourselves that you're a second tier, third tier, maybe fourth tier Christian if you've done some really bad things. Can I just tell you that that's not the case? That God fully redeems that God brings you into his family fully as a child of his, no caveats. That David, this is my, so incredible, that David was called a man after God's own heart after all of this sin happened. That God has a plan for you even in spite of some of the sin that might have been in your past. Let me ask you this, look at verse, verse 13. He says, it advances the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the people that he was chained to, it's moving up the chain of command. Everybody that they put, hey, you're on this shift with Paul, he's telling them about Jesus. He's got a joy in his heart. He's showing them the goodness of God even though he's got those circumstances. But listen to what he says next. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I just want to ask you, would you be able to take out the word imprisonment and put in where you are right now? Would you be able to just leave a blank there and say, my blank, my situation, my relationship status, my job, my money, my hopes and dreams are for the purpose of God. They're for Christ. Would you be able to say that? Reading this this week, to see Paul just say, I want my imprisonment to be for God. Sometimes I like God because he's a nice additive to my day, but that is shortchanging what God is meant to be for us, that God is meant to be our everything. And we end up saying, ah, it'd be nice if he would you know, help me with this. I'll kind of pray about it. But would you turn the negative circumstances in your life to say, my imprisonment is for God? Would you be willing to do that? Look at what it says in verse 14. He says, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident, he's talking about other Christians, having become confident in the Lord, in my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Other Christians are looking at Paul in prison going, wait a minute, you were doing what God wanted and you got thrown in prison and you're not turning your back on him? You're more excited now than you were before? Man, if Paul's in prison, then surely I can go across the street. And they're becoming more bold. Boldness leads to boldness, right? You ever seen a group of middle school boys trying to do something dumb? Like, I've been there. I've been, I've been part of this. Anybody ever gone cliff, cliff jumping, cliff diving? The first person to go is really the first person to have any amount of courage. And after that, it's just like you're just trying to match them. Oh, dude, this is, I, yeah, this part's a little higher. I can go there. Like, boldness leads to more boldness. It's not about a, the cliff at that point. It's about just being more bold. That I want to ask you, for Paul, it was his imprisonment that was for Christ that led to boldness. For you, what, it, what might that be that might lead other people to more boldness in Christ? All it takes is one. I was reminded this week of the story of 
Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody has an incredible story, but the way that he came to know Christ was he started coming to uh, this Sunday school class at this small church that he was involved in. And there was a man named Ed Kimball. There's almost nothing on the internet about a guy named Ed D. Kimball, besides the fact that he was faithful. Let me read you this story. It says, D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, when 18 years of age, age was a boot salesman in his uncle's store in Boston. His Sunday school teacher was Mr. Kimball. And he had set in his heart on winning the young man for Christ. And after praying about the matter, he arranged to visit him at his uncle's boot store. He said, I was determined to use his own words, to speak to him about Christ and about his soul. So I started down to Holton's boot store. And when I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go in during business hours. I thought my call might embarrass the boy, and that when I went in, the other clerks might ask who I was and taunt him with my efforts in trying to make him a good boy. In the meantime, I had passed the store, and discovering this, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Finally, I mustered up the courage, and I found him in the back part of the building wrapping up shoes. I went up to him at once, putting my hand on his shoulder. I made what I felt afterwards was a very weak plea for Christ. I don't know what words I could have used, nor could Mr. Moody probably tell you. I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the, the love Christ wanted in return. That was all there was. It seemed the young man was just ready for the light that had then broke upon him. And there... In the back of the boot store in Boston, D.L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. Will you have the boldness of an Ed Kimball? He had no idea who this 18-year-old was. He had no idea of his potential. He had no idea how much he would sell his life over to Christ, that he would start an institution that would show people the Bible. He would have, uh, he had started, shoot, uh, sorry, he started schools for boys and girls. He started the, for one of the first colleges for women. That he started one of, the, one of the revivals that led through Ireland in the late 1800s. Do you think Ed Kimball ever knew? Or did he think, I just have to be faithful to God today? I have to say yes to what God has put in front of me today. Boldness leads to boldness. Where's your boldness going to lead someone else? Be inspired by someone else's boldness. Be encouraging. Because you never know where their boldness is going to take someone else. Will you have the audacity of an Ed Kimball? We read about this and we, we see Paul's boldness. We see his love for God and we wonder how does he get there. Over the next couple verses from 15 to verse 18, he's talking about when he left that church and some people came in and started preaching the gospel and uh, some people did it out of a good heart and some people did it out of selfish ambition and Paul just says, man, it, the gospel's going out. I'm happy. But we pick up with him in verse 18 and he says, what then, only and in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. He says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I will turn out, this will turn out for my deliverance. I mean, the, the guy just had this optimism that you're like, honestly, you read Philippians, you're like, you're reading this about a guy who's in jail and he's almost, 
either optimistic or honestly just a little numb to the fact that he's in jail. Like somebody there just needs to smack him and say, look around, see where you're at. You, why are you so excited? Why are you so hope-filled? I, I want you to just see three things of how we can have the same optimism, how we can have the same hope in the midst of a difficult season, in the midst of following Christ, in the midst of not seeing maybe the end goal of a scenario, but we can have hope, that we can have purpose in a prison. The first one is to see God as a deliverer. Paul saw God as his deliverer. See, reading this section of scripture in verse 19, it talks about how hey, this will lead to my deliverance. When in reality, staying in a prison, a lot of times meant it would end with death. So there's almost a double meaning in that word deliverance that we read about it later in Philippians, but he kind of says, man, I could die or I could go on serving. It doesn't almost make a difference to me. It's a hard decision. I want to go home and be with God, but I also want to stay here and work. I want to do what God has for me. But he's only able to do that if he sees God as his deliverer. That it may not be that God in this scenario is a deliverer from circumstances. Sometimes God will let you live in that prison for a time. But he's not going to let you live in that prison for eternity. That Paul knew that. Paul saw God for who he was in this hierarchy in his life that God, this is not what he has for me. He has eternity with him, so if he chooses to let me be in prison, that's all right. I'll do it. I'll be faithful where I'm at. But he also says, if he chooses to take me home, I'm happy with it. But he saw God as his deliverer. Just think about his background. Think about where Paul came from. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul was a person that had some clout in the Roman world and in the Jewish world that he could have said, man, I I want these people to start going away, and people did it. People listened to him. He was trained in the word of God, that he used it for a purpose of putting Christians down. But God had this interaction with him that brought him out of darkness and into light, gave him purpose and hope for his life. Not just how many more Christians can I kill today, but how much life can I bring to the people around me? Has God delivered you from that? He talks in Ephesians about how he was dead in his trespasses, but God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive together with him. Is that your story? Do you see God as your deliverer? Because it'll radically change the way that you view your circumstances, the way that you view the prison bars that you see in front of your eyes, because whether it's now or whether it's at the end of my life, God is my deliverer. I will spend eternity with him. So my earthly circumstances, whatever they look like, I'm going to be okay. Is he your deliverer? Do you see him as that? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. Whatever it is that you've done, there's no special sin that God said, hey, my grace is sufficient for everything but Lust. My grace is sufficient for everyone but those that lost their virginity before they got married. My grace is sufficient unless you stole. My grace is sufficient unless you've been really, really hurt and you don't know how to fix that. No, it says my grace is sufficient. It's enough. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. That in your weakness, that in the things that you don't quite have figured out in your life, God's power is that much stronger. It's made perfect. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That Paul had this mentality that was like, man, bring on whatever that weakness might be because I know that if there's anything good in me, it's God, it's not me. So look at my weaknesses. Look how bad I can be. Not because of any other reason than to say, look at who Christ can use. I'm messed up. It says in verse 10, for the sake of Christ then I'm content with my weakness. Insults, hardship, persecution, calamities, for when I am weak, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That if he's your deliverer, he's your rescuer. He's your strength. He's the one picking you up out of bondage. He's the one picking you up and helping you, saving you, bringing you to a place that you couldn't be, adopting you into his family that you could never do yourself. That he does that for you. He delivers you if you will turn to him, if you will run to him. The second thing that we see, we see God as life. We see God as deliverer, but we see him as life. I think it's really easy to see God as our deliverer. Listen, God has given me my get out of hell free card. Man, that's great. Now I'm gonna go live in the shame of my sin, of the rest of the things that I've done wrong. But that's not what God meant for you. I'll be honest, I lived there for a long time. I grew up in church and I knew that I needed to get saved. I knew that I needed God. I knew that that was something that I needed to do. And I think I intellectually understood a lot of those things. But I wasn't for a long time probably living life like God is my life, that he's my source of hope. And not just hope that, man, I hope the Cardinals make the playoffs next season. But I have hope in eternity in him. That Paul, the words that you see here, he's consistently rejoicing. And it's changing who he is. In verse 18, he goes, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. That's all right. I'm going to rejoice anyway. So again, I'm going to rejoice. You read Philippians, and he talks about rejoicing and joy. Why? Because God has filled his heart. Are you filled with joy? Is God giving you life? One of the ways that we do that is through Remembering him, remembering who he is and what he's done for you. The gospel is not the diving board into Christianity, it's the pool. We need God every day, every moment. Because we still live in this fleshly body that will turn to sin when it's convenient that we need God to start retracing things for us. He'll change your life if you'll swim in that every day. That's why we talk about spiritual disciplines. Part of the five things that we want you to do is to be involved in spiritual disciplines. What is that? That's knowing God's word. That's memorizing it, reading it, just understanding it, reading through it with people. Nothing ever said you can't read the Bible with other people. To pray to him. He's talking quite a bit about, hey, your prayers are one of the things that's going to keep me going. I need it. Fasting. I don't know if there's anything I've done better for my spiritual life than fasting and turning to God and saying, God, I need you more than this meal. And a lot of times it's around a decision that I'm trying to make, but God ends up showing me something about my relationship with him, and the decision works itself out. 
Do you know God? Or have you just signed up and said, hey, get me out of hell. I know that's something that I need. That's a short change of what God has for you. John 10 said that God came to give us life and life abundantly. And that's the reason God didn't just scoop you up whenever you prayed to believe in him. Paul talks right after the verse that we're getting ready to read where he says, I'm staying for fruitful labor. Does your life look like fruitful labor in service to him? The joy of the Christian life is found in serving God. Have you served God? Have you found a way to serve other people, serve God through other people, through serving those people? Look in Philippians 1 verse 20. He says, as my eager expectation and hope that I will be with you all and not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always with Christ, God will be honored in my body by my choices, by what I do, that he'll give me life. Whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul understood that God is life, and we can't just do one without the other. That we understand that to die is gain because Paul was this crazy person that just viewed God as just high on this pedestal. It's both and. In Philippians 3, just a little bit, he says, Indeed, I count everything at a loss because of the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This was a guy who would have seen Lydia, the rich woman at the beginning of the church who owned so much, say, it's Jesus that I need. He would have seen the slave girl who had chains on her and probably a lot of emotional baggage start to have life in Christ. He saw a man who was getting ready to commit suicide. He walked in and said, stop. And he said, what must I do to follow Christ? These were the people that he knew. Everything besides Christ is not worth anything. In order that I might gain Christ. That the last thing that we see is that we need to see the loss of everything as a gain. To finish Philippians 3, in verse 9, he says, and be found in him. Is your life so wrapped around the things of God that your life's found wrapped up in him? Or is it the other way around where you're trying to wrap God around your life and it's a struggle? Listen to what he says next, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and righteousness from God that depends on faith. I don't know what you're here with today. I don't know what you're chasing. I don't know what it is that you walked in here with, but there's nothing that will satisfy you. There's nothing that will bring you life like Christ. Will you bow your heads? Oh, mm-hmm.